Welcome to Lucas Baseball, brought to you by DrRoto.com. Check out our fantasy baseball draft guide. Start dominating your drafts and your leagues. Today on today's show, we're entering into the outfield, rankings and tiers in fantasy baseball. I'm joined here as always by my co-host Lucas Beery and Lucas. Last week we finished the infield. We move on to the outfield, which not only has a ton of stars, but also is one of the most important positions to fill, considering you have to fill at least five, and then you probably want at least two additional guys, and that's just in standard redraft. In a draft and hold, you might need eight to ten. Absolutely. Not only are you going deeper into the pool for outfield than most other positions, but you need to know exactly which players will provide which categories. For example, if you started out with a Jordan Alvarez, you know, you're probably not going to prioritize big power bats towards the end of the draft. You're going to look at those speed contribution guys. And if you go with the big speed guys, you're going to look more at your Hunter Renfro, Jorge Solares and such. So having a breadth of knowledge on the player pool for the outfield is, I think, huge for success just because you need to know who's going to provide what and which value, which pockets of value to go after in the outfield. Definitely. That's why we break them into tiers. This is part one of two. Of course, we'll get through the first 30 to 35 in show one, and then we'll wrap it up with the second show. And of course, like all of our ranking shows, they are not taken from a particular source, whether it be Fantrax, NFBC, ESPN, Yahoo, etc. These are put together a little bit by me, but mostly by Lucas and how he ranks these players and how he sees the tiers. So keep in mind, if you're trying to follow along with our rankings using one of those websites, they'll be close, but they won't be exact because we um, kind of do our own particular rankings and tiers to kind of uh, be different from what you can find absolutely anywhere. But let's get to, Lucas, the elites. Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts, and Luis Robert. We'll start with Soto, Harper, and Tucker because they kind of appear to be in a league of their own per se. Soto, one of the best pure hitters in the sport. Expect 310 average or higher, 100 runs, 95 or more ribbies, 30 homers or so, near double-digit steals. Top five pick without a doubt. You got Bryce Harper going anywhere from pick six to 11. Counting stats are all there, including double-digit stolen bases. What will make him worthy of the top six pick is if he can maintain that 300-plus average, which he hadn't done since 2017 until he did it a year ago. Confident he will repeat everything else, though. And then with Kyle Tucker, man, basically your backup if you want Harper and Harper's taken before you. 30 homers, double-digit steals, tons of counting stats, close to 300 average only getting better at 25 years old, coming off his first MLB season in which he saw over 500 at-bats. Gotta love all three of these guys. And if you have pick 10 or 11 in your draft, let's say, you got a really good chance of getting one of Harper or Tucker for sure. Absolutely. And those are the exact players I've honed in on whenever I've had that pick repeatedly. I do prefer Harper. He has more, he has shown more power upside He's in a more premium lineup position unless Houston Astros move Tucker up in the lineup, which I think they will. I think five spot would make the most sense for him, assuming they don't bring back Correa. But they both provide the double-digit steals, both solid batting average. Tucker's probably a little bit better on the average, but maybe less homers and a little bit less counting stats. But uh, it's fluid. It's a a toss-up between those two. I took Tucker once over Harper just to kind of diversify my shares. And then with Soto, um, I'll kind of kick it back to you with him. There's not a lot that needs to be said. I mean, he's a superstar, probably one of the best players uh, we'll ever see. And the question is, is do you think that he'll get less pitches to hit 
with their line of weakening uh, a little bit in, in Washington. Yeah, he probably will see some less pitches, but he's still going to hit for average. He's still going to do everything uh, that we expect him to do. Uh, potentially, the RBIs go down a little bit if there's less guys on base. Uh, but, I mean, you're still going to get elite production all across the board from him, and I have no problem taking him at pick four or five in the draft. Mm-hmm. Probably not in the top three just because there's other dudes I like from a more speed standpoint and in better lineups. Even if he's not going to hit the 40 homers or steal 15-plus bags, I mean, what you're obviously looking to do in the first five to six picks is you just don't want to screw it up. And he is the perfect player for the floor play. So I have zero issues with him, even though I've heard some people say that he's not going to get many pitches to hit, which, look, I get that to an extent, but I also know he's going to get his. Definitely. And one disclaimer I meant to mention in the beginning of the show, Lucas, is because we've done all these positional rankings except for the outfield, we are not including players with outfield eligibility whose main position we've already covered. So there's going to be players like Tatis has outfield eligibility in certain places. He's not on this show because we've already covered him. And there's a lot of guys who have outfield eligibility who we've already covered. But moving forward here with the guys we are going to cover, Mookie Betts, Luis Robert. Mookie's batting average dropped last season. The power and speed dropped last season. Still has 270, 70 RBI, 100 run, 25 homer, 15 steals potential. Hits in a good lineup. And now that he goes at the end of the first round rather than the top five picks or so, you might even consider him a value with Luis Robert. If he could just play 150 or so games, we're looking at a potential 30 home or 20 stolen bases player with 100 runs, maybe even close to 100 RBIs because of his lineup spot. What I am unsure of with him, though, and why I have no shares in redraft this season is whether or not he's going to hit for average. We saw him bat 233 in 2020, then batted 338 in 2021 in a similar amount of games, too. Massive jump in batting average. 105 points is a lot to jump up. I think he bats between 265 and 275, maybe. I think we'd be pretty happy with that as the result. Yeah, no, that's fair. His batting average is a little... Hard to predict. I'm with you there. His strikeout rate got cut down uh, supremely from the 2020 year of 32% to 21%. His batted ball quality is off the charts, and he's one of the one of the handful of guys that throws in plenty of steals with the power premium lineup. I mean, the White Sox are going to go absurd this year with their lineup. So I haven't taken him yet, but kind of around the wheel, he's a he's a target for me. But with bets. I tell you, I actually do prefer bets over Robert. I know that that might be a surprise for some because I've seen a lot of people want to put some, want to bury uh, Mookie Betts, which I don't understand. I get that he played through a hip issue last year, but whenever the Dodgers decide that he's fully healthy and doesn't need a surgery, I mean, that's good enough for me considering the fact they have 365 million reasons to get him fully healthy. A, A down season of 23 homers, 10 steals, 93 runs in 122 games. Is really excellent, even though it was a quote-unquote down season. He's a runs machine. He's an excellent hitter. Elite plate discipline, leading off of the Dodgers with the chance for 30 homers, 15 steals. I think Betts is a little bit underrated this year. I think so, too, and I have a bit of a controversial take here. I know I've kind of thrown it at you in the past um, with Luis Robert. There's a guy in the next tier, Starlin Marte, who we'll get into more detail. I would take Marte over Robert not where Robert's going but if I had to choose 
between the two of them. I needed an outfield. I wanted an outfielder with speed who's going around, you know, the top 30 picks or so. I'm taking Marte over Robert. It's hard to dispute that one for me. I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from. I personally wouldn't do that, but uh, hey, it makes a ton of sense if you're trying to lock in 30-plus steals with with a good average and, and, and a boatload of runs scored if he can stay healthy. Yeah, well, Marte hasn't missed the amount of games that Robert has missed over the last couple of years. You know he's going to hit for the average, and you almost know he's going to get the stolen bases. Uh, we'll get to him in a little bit, though. I want to move over to the next tier if you're yeah. done with the top tier. No, I'm done. Just to recap it, Betts, I think, is just being a little overly discounted for a injury concern that I think he'll be fine. And Robert, I'm good with, but I also... Is it the injury concern, though, or is it just that there's so many great players going in the first round at all the positions? I'm not even sure it's because of the injury. I know a lot of people have have some concerns with his hip issue, and plus he's kind of getting older. Some people think that the power could fall off, which it's possible it could, but... I also think it's comfortable for me to make a bet with Mookie Betts towards the back end of the first, early second in some drafts. Bets on bets. I like it. All right. Outfield anchors is the next tier. We got Jordan Alvarez, Ronald Acuna Jr., Cedric Mullins, Starling Marte, T. Oscar Hernandez, Mike Trout, and Aaron Judge. I'm not going to go over these guys necessarily in order particularly, but I'll start with Acuna, Trout, and Marte. Uh, Acuna basically was a top three to five pick, except that we just don't know when he's going to be ready to play. Uh, the season could be delayed. Certainly looks like it could be delayed. Hopefully we get an agreement even while we're on the air. Uh, but he may not even miss any time now. Regardless, he's taking bat in practice. He's been doing that since mid-January. And really, uh, only one of a handful of guys who can go 30-30 when he's healthy. So, I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. could be an absolute steal for you. Mike Trout might be the best hit hitter in baseball still we just can't rely on him to be healthy anymore and we certainly can't expect him to swipe bases anymore but in a full season healthy of course trout could be a 40 homer guy with 100 rbis and 100 runs batting 315 or higher he is that good he just needs to stay on the field starling Marte, uh one of the elite stolen base guys who isn't one dimensional 300 hitter double digit homers good Mets lineup he could score 100 runs drive in 70 couple all that with the potential to steal 40 or more bases and you have yourselves one hell of a player if I had a choice again I told you I would take him over Robert I think he's safer in every category except for home runs man yeah I mean I can see it I like I said I wouldn't necessarily go for it but I think it's defensible if you're looking to because we because we just finished up our TGFBI drafts if you didn't invest pretty decent amount in steals in the first four or five picks it's going to be tough Uh, so i get that with trout i hate to say it i'm fully out on trout i wouldn't take him in the top two rounds maybe towards the wheel if i was feeling frisky but even then i'm pretty set in on the fact that i think he's an injury risk i wouldn't be surprised if he plays 120 to 130 plus games with you know 40 homers and, and a 290 average with elite counting stats outside of the steals but it's just a risk that I'm not willing to take since you can't, I'm, like I said, I'm looking for floor in the first couple rounds, which is another reason I'm not interested in Acuna either. Maybe towards the wheel if he were to slip that far, but he's actually been moving up drafts since people think that the delay in season could happen. But I just don't know how much he's going to run when he comes back. And I also don't know when he's going to come back. Acuna is on a, on a contract that's going to run all the way until 2028. So why wouldn't they go ahead and play it safe with their franchise icon? I think that they could ease him in 
and it's and having a player that on my team that I know is going to potentially miss games from the start is something I'm not interested in, even though he is a superstar. I can understand that, and yeah, I don't own Acuna or Trout anywhere except for when I have uh, pick 14 or 15, and I grab them yeah. with pick 16 or 17 in the second round. Acuna hasn't I really been able to fall that far to me. Trout at pick 16, I'll take it for the upside. I get and it. I did it's it just a, in TGFBI. It's just, a, just a personal thing with me, just looking for more safe, secure, I guess, profiles. And I don't blame you for that. I mean, the same reason why I like Marte over Robert, right? We all have our reasons. We all have our players. Some other players in this tier, though, who are just absolutely fantastic. Your Don Alvarez, Teoscar Hernandez, Cedric Mullins, and Aaron Judge. Starting with Alvarez, basically David Ortiz, but with outfield eligibility. Not going to provide speed, but the dude's going to be incredible in four other categories. I've got a number of shares of him in the early third round when I have pick one through four overall, 280 average, 100-plus ribbies, close to 100 runs, 35 homers, outfield one and outfield two price. I am loving it all day. Teoscar Hernandez developed into a true star hitter. It certainly helps that he hits in possibly the best lineup in Major League Baseball. Going to hit in the 290 range, drive in over 100, score close to 90, maybe more, hit 30 or more homers, and might even add some double-digit steals considering he added that to his game last year. I think there's a monster season coming from Teoscar. Cedric Mullins, kind of the definition of breakout star, right? Last year, I mean, kind of went undrafted basically everywhere, <laughs> um, unless you're a DNH player, and put together, what, 30-30 season, good batting average, and... This guy could be Harper and Tucker with less RBIs and more stolen bases if he maintains his success from a year ago. And that's pretty crazy considering you're getting him around later. And there's Aaron Judge, man. I mean, it's tough as a Yankees fan to say that, but there's a lot of questions with his health over the years. Last year did stay healthy and put together a really strong season. 287, 39 homers, 98 ribbies, 89 runs, 6 stolen bases. That's in the Yankees lineup that actually struggled. He's in the contract year. Health going to be paramount for him getting that big-time contract. And if healthy, this is a guy that can hit 280, 40-plus homers, 100 and, and 100. The risk here really is that uh, prior to 2021, the only full season of games he played was his rookie year of 2017. Can that big body hold up? Because if it does... He's about as good as anybody across four categories. Judge is a star player in real life. He has awesome on base. He doesn't strike out as much as you might think with only a 25% K rate last year, but it's not a guy I'm interested in. I need the steals early, and he's not going to give them. Plus, there are lingering health concerns in my mind that you touched up on, so I, I agree there. Good ball player, just not the skill set I'm looking for since I need those steals early. Alvarez is a somewhat of a similar situation. And uh, I had a choice of him and Cedric Mullins in a, an important draft a few weeks ago, and I struggled, Lou. I don't know where you would have went with that, but I took Mullins just thinking that it's way harder to get steals later on in the draft. But I might look foolish if he takes a big step back and Alvarez even takes another step forward, which I wouldn't be surprised by. You know, it's funny you mention that because – I haven't had to make the decision between either one. I have two drafts where I was picking in the first two picks, um, and 
when I had the first pick, I took Trey Turner, and then I came back and took Mullins and Alvarez. And then in the other, I had the second pick, I took Jose Ramirez. Uh, on the way back, I took Mullins, and then after that, I took Alvarez. So basically, I guess the second time, I did choose Mullins yeah. over Alvarez, but it wasn't um, it wasn't necessarily on purpose. Um, I felt that the guy who picked before me wasn't going to take Alvarez based on taking big power bats um, earlier. Uh, other than his first round pick, so I thought, you know, maybe uh, I could roll the dice there. But no, that that's a good debate. I mean, I think I'm with you, Mullins. Yeah, Mullins for the speed, for sure. Um, definitely want that stolen bases. But there's a good chance you can get both those guys in second, late second, early third. Yeah, they're both really good targets. I just think that the Mullins pick provides you more optionality down the road since steals are just such a premium. I know we kind of beat that drum. A little bit. No, what, dude? I remember what it was. Why I thought he wasn't going Alvarez. He took Vladdy first overall. Oh, well, yeah, that that would be a. I just looked it up because I was thinking to myself, no, he must have taken Tatis or Trey Turner first, so he could have. But then I looked. He he took Vladdy, so I had a feeling he wasn't going Alvarez. That's true, and and Alvarez is a guy where maybe I guess in some instances I'd consider him, but again, it is tough to take uh, to take a no steal uh, player, especially in the outfield where the outfield is the position where you need to really get some steals from that spot. I, in my builds, I really look at only maybe one at one position of no steals in the outfield, maybe two, but it's tough. Cause once you take a JD Martinez early on and the best players available are Jorge Soler and Hunter Renfro types, you're just adding on to the no steals. It really comes down to how you build your roster, how you're constructing it. Cause again, when I took him, I already had Turner and Mullins. I wasn't worried about the lack of, of speed. It, oh, absolutely. You know, if you're drafting early and you take a Turner, Ramirez, or Tatis, and then on the way back, grab Mullins, and then early third, grab Alvarez if he's there, you know, you, you can do that. You can afford to do that because you've already locked up a lot of stolen bases from your first two picks and can get some later. Oh, in that, in that instance, it makes a ton of sense. But if you were to go pitcher heavy, and mixed in a closer, and you're, you're just limited on, on speed, and you took Alvarez at first, could be kind of a recipe for a, a tough draft, but yeah. It could be, but again, that David Ortiz in the outfield still sounds pretty good to me. Absolutely. With Tay Oscar, yeah. I wanted to kind of briefly touch up on him. I was I was not as interested in Tay Oscar to kind of start the offseason as I, I kind of grew more interested in him, uh, I'm trying to say. His isolated power has been excellent every single year in fact 2021 was his full season breakout but it was actually his lowest isolated powers since 2016 with a a 244 mark over that the 12 steals pops to make him just skyrocket up the boards as well as the average so the power is locked in he strikes out a bit less than ever he's going to probably provide you know five to eight plus steals and hitting a premium lineup in the third round, I would uh, I would take Tay Oscar over Mike Trout if I were to be having that uh, kind of debate. If Mike Trout fell in the third round, um, <laughs> that that's a good debate. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe you have. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'd love to grab Tay Oscar if he's there and I'm looking yes. for an outfielder. I think he's a great all-around player. And again, that lineup, that ballpark, the division definitely helps. Next tier, star caliber. We got Randy, Arena, Byron Buxton, Tyler O'Neill. Nick Castellanos, Brian Reynolds, Eloy Jimenez, George Springer, J.D. Martinez, and Jesse uh, Winker. Again, in no particular order, we'll start with uh, O'Neal, Arozarena, 
and Buxton. O'Neill broke out last year, played by far the most games of his career at 286 average, 80 RBIs, 89 runs, 34 homers, and 15 stolen bases. Steals were not something we saw in prior seasons in the majors, but we do know he's got big-time power and clearly made a lot more contact than in years past, hence the 286 average. I think there's some risk if the batting average drops back down to the norm, but I believe in the power and now the speed moving forward. So a player that's good, just I probably will take a Rosarena over him, um, even though people might have been disappointed last season um, by him. He was still really good. I think he actually went was underrated last year 274 yeah, 20 homers 20 steals 94 runs 69 rbis rbi total is probably going to go up this season too he's going to be in the middle of the order rather than towards the top of the order like he was early on the runs might decrease a little bit but probably not much considering tampa has a good lineup and randy's going to help you in five categories and speaking of five categories Byron Buxton, man. Everybody, including myself, is still waiting on the Byron Buxton. 150 games played and an AL MVP. Skills to do it. 30-30 ridden all over him. And honestly, looked like he was going to do it last year until the injuries hit, as they always do. Chance to be a top 3-5 to five outfielder. Has a chance to end up being the 30th best outfielder if he doesn't play enough and is injured. One of the highest risk-reward picks you're going to find in fantasy baseball. Absolutely. My man, Byron Bucks, and uh, my favorite player. But, you know, we have him in our dynasty league. And, uh, Lou, that's my only share outside of one other league where he slipped around pick 70. I felt comfortable with it. There's just a bit of injury risk. We do have an IL slot in that league, but most NFBC leagues do not. So at this point, going around pick 50, kind of out on Buxton. I get that he is uh, power speed. And honestly, he's become one of the best, con- you know, quality of contact wise 17 to 18 percent barrel rate i mean it's ridiculous it's just a question of health and i just i don't know i'm kind of trying to avoid uh, injury risks as far as that goes and he unfortunately would fall into that category even though he has superstar upside rose arena is easily my favorite in this category even i could even see myself taking him ahead of aaron judge i know that sounds crazy but the power of 2020 is huge and people were disappointed in him last year I mean, you draft the guy for power and speed and you get 20-20 with 94 runs and a good batting average and over 600 plate appearances. That doesn't look like a platoon bat to me. And I think he could even improve upon that next year. And last but not least with Tyler O'Neill, I kind of wanted to like him because there's a lot to like, but there's just too much risk for me. I think you're paying an all-time high price, 31% strikeout rate. I get that a Rosarina is 29%, but anytime it goes over 30%, I'm a bit concerned especially since he hasn't proven this baseline. He's kind of a one-year wonder in a sense. I know that he could go insane, and he could even have a better year. But in the early rounds, I just think that there's just too much risk of downside and some regression coming to hit O'Neal. Well, especially with all the quality players going around him who might not have as much risk. I have no Tyler O'Neill, but I certainly would love if he could hit 30-plus and steal 15-plus again. I mean, if he does that again, um, I'm going to become a believer. I'm a little skeptical now. Won't be if he can do it again. Eloy Jimenez, George Springer, Nicholas Castellanos. Eloy is kind of what I expect Jordan Alvarez to be, but from the right side of the plate. Injury last spring really derailed the big league development, and certainly now is not as polished as Jordan is, but 
this could and kind of should be the year where he puts it all together. I could see him being one of those 290 hitters, 35 to 40 homers, 95 to 100 runs, 80 plus runs. And no, he's not going to be cheap in the drafts going around pick 75 overall, but that's not very expensive either when you consider the production uh, compared to some of the guys going earlier and the great ballpark and the excellent lineup that he has. George Springer, balled out last season even though he played injured and only played half a season worth of games if you look at the numbers across what would have been 150 plus games we're talking 100 rbis 120 runs 44 homers and eight stolen bases insanely monstrous and he can easily do that while hitting atop the jays loaded lineup health needs to just be in the cards for him and nicholas castellano still unsigned I do believe it has impacted his value since he was a great ballpark for him. Who knows where he's going to end up now? Absolutely tore the cover off the ball in 2021, though. Over 300 average, 34 homers, 100 RBIs, 95 runs. If he ends up on an elite offense, and I believe he will, those numbers are all repeatable. What I do worry about is when he's going to sign and if he will be ready whenever the season starts. Yeah, Castellanos is a badass hitter i mean he really is i just it's tough to take a, a four category contributor that early on um yeah he's a great hitter though and he also had well over a thousand ops at home in cincinnati and uh i don't know you know as far as on the road he was he was only around 772 that's that's good but i don't know he could take a slip back hit not hitting in cincy next year if they don't bring him back with eloy the only concern I have is health risk, but I think that they'll give him plenty of DHing chances, even though they have too many DHs on their roster with your boy Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, and, and Jose Abreu. Good news is get... Sheets and Vaughn can both play the outfield too. So that's true. A couple they of can rotate them there, around. But, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you can you can get away with that uh, on days that Dallas Keuchel's pitching, Mr. Groundballer himself, but. Eloy, if they if he can stay fully healthy, I know that's an if, but as a 25-year-old and a torn peck, I mean, that was a fluke play in spring training when he tried to rob that homer. It was ridiculous, but he's a, he's a good hitter. He's doesn't strike out an overly too much amount, and he's one of the rare potentially really strong batting average, really strong power guys. Usually it's kind of one or the other, but he has the opportunity to pair that up. Right-handed Yordan, man. Right-handed Yordan, I'm yeah. telling you. You're, you're getting a good discount on him because if you do see him as Jordan, I know the injury risk is the reason he's discounted, but if you're willing to take that plunge, he's a good value. I thought he would rise up in drafts, in fact, but evidently not. And then with Springer, just to be brief, I think he's a stud hitter. I mean, he really is. He's, he's the whole package. I do have some concerns, though, with his health. He's... He's not 25 like Eloy. He's he's 32, and he'll be 33 by the end of the year. Played through a bunch of nagging leg issues that really never kind of went away. Hamstring and quad, I had him on a team, and I really needed him. And whenever he played, he was wonderful, but it seemed like those issues kind of crept up and kind of popped back in and out of the season, just plaguing I him throughout. I think they're going to have to DH him more than they anticipated when they signed him to that deal. Yeah, I, I think that's right, and I, I, he could certainly be good. It's just you're not getting enough of an injury discount. If he was about a round or two cheaper, I'd like him more. Obviously, you can say you're talking NFBC but, wise, though, right? When you know you don't yeah. have the IL slots, because if Springer misses some time here or there, like a Buxton, and you have most leagues will have your injured list spots. I mean, you can stomach yes. it 
from an outfielder. You can find another one on Thab, on waivers, whatever it might be. Because clearly when Springer is in and he's playing, he's an absolute monster. Absolutely. And again, the reason that the injuries do concern me more is because not only did he deal with them throughout the year last year and they kind of recurred, but he's 32. Eloy being 25, that allows me to wave those by a little bit easier personally. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what the surface is now at the Rogers Center, a.k.a. Skydome. I'll always know it is Skydome. Um, but I know that uh, it's not the most ideal for uh, guys with leg issues. True. Hurt Tulowitzki. Sure. I mean, Tulowitzki wasn't Tulowitzki by the time he got there, but absolutely <laughs> agree with you. J.D. Martinez, Brian Reynolds, Jesse Winker. JDM, uh, I mean, I'm going to go on record right now. I think I've said it. I think other people have probably said it too. This guy is being underdrafted in terms of his ADP. You can get him around pick 100, which is kind of ludicrous when you look at the body of work <laughs> since joining Boston. Uh, and, of course, really what he has done since joining Boston, mostly as a DH, of course, but um, all he does is hit. And he has outfield eligibility, 300 average potential, 30 homer potential, 100 RBI, 100 run. Uh, certainly might come short of all those numbers, but if he does, it will not be by much. It never is unless you want to count 2020, and I just don't with this guy. Still an absolute pure hitter. Really like JD where he's going. Brian Reynolds, awesome in 2019, terrible in the COVID short in 2020, and then even better in 2021 than he was in 2019. Only thing he doesn't do is steal bases, and I really wish he would. Maybe we'll get you four to seven, which is fine, yeah. but 300 average, 22 to 26 homers. 90 runs, 90 RBIs make him a very intriguing player just outside of the top 100 picks. And then with Jesse Winker, not the greatest fielder, but the bat's always going to keep him in that lineup, certainly against right-handed pitching. If he actually could hit both right-handed and left-handed pitching, he might get 600 at-bats, and the counting stats would probably be better in the ADP would probably rise, but not looking like it's going to be the case here. You're going to have to accept 420 to 450 plate appearances, but you'll get a lot of awesomeness that comes with it. 325 homer, 75, 75 type of thing. Very good, just not great. Yeah, another one of my favorite players, Jesse Winker, of course. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he's necessarily a foregone conclusion that he's going to miss time with injuries. He had intercostal issues. Uh, that cost him some time in the midsummer, and then he kind of got shut down as soon as he came back. There's actually been reports out there that they rushed him back. It would make sense because the Reds, uh, you know, they're not exactly the greatest run organization considering the fact they let Rizal Iglesias go for nothing, and now he's one of the best closers in the game. But with Winker, he pairs really good batting average with really good power, really good stadium, barely strikes out. I know that, like I said, had some in injury issues, but 28 years old I, I don't think he's some huge injury risk it's not like he's in his mid to late 30s yet Martinez again is underrated last year we were all over him as a as a really good value and he's only 34 that's not really that old yet I mean he's getting up there but it's not ancient or anything gonna be hitting in the Red Sox order average and power good lineup spot love that as well and then with Reynolds kind of last but not least I was checking out uh, some ranks uh, from a great uh, follow, uh, Max Fries, really good uh, follow, good guy. He actually compared Brian Reynolds, this is a good one, to Xander Bogarts in the outfield. I think that actually makes a ton of sense. Really strong average based on his elite minor league numbers throughout his career. 
25 to 28 home run potential with four to five bags. I thought that was a good comp. Yeah, very similar um, type of production from those guys, just different positions. Very nice comp. Good stuff there yep. from Freeze. Anything else on this tier? No, I think these are uh, excellent uh, outfield twos, and I wouldn't be worried to build a team with these guys as my outfield one as long as I was filling in really good production in other spots waiting a bit on outfield. Yeah, not a bad not a bad way to go if uh, that's how your draft falls. So one more tier here in part one. Of course, we have a whole other part with a whole other lot of names, but this tier is called the Big Edge. You get it, Christian Yelich, Mitch Hanniger, Giancarlo Stanton, Kyle Schwarber, Cody Bellinger, Miles Straw, Alex Verdugo, Robbie Grossman, Trent Grisham, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Going to start with Yelich, Stanton, and Straw here. Uh, Yelich is a player that comes with risk. Uh, the risk isn't production-wise, though. It's the nagging back issue that has caused him to miss games. It also seems to affect the batting average, certainly, last year. Yelich, even with the back issue, is not far removed from being a 320 hitter with 100, 140 homers, and 30 stolen bases. I don't think he's going to do that again. However, 300, 90 90, 30 homers, 15 stolen bases is realistic if he stays healthy. One incredible player you can get at that ADP. It really just comes down to how risky you want to be. Giancarlo Stanton is one of those, if you like upside with risk, take him. Uh, Absolute monster if he's healthy. As much power potential as anyone in baseball. Problem is, you just don't know which Stanton you're going to get from year to year. If he plays enough, you're looking at 35 to 40 homers, 85 runs, 100 RBIs, 270 average. If he's injured off and on, there's no telling what his production could look like, and that's the risk you're going to have to run if you want to take him. And then Miles Straw, guy who can steal 40 bases, maybe hit five homers if you're lucky. If you like that, then this is your guy. He's going to score some runs. He's going to swipe a lot of bags. Just don't expect much else. He's not on my radar radar at all this season especially at the draft price unless I have completely punted stolen bases until that point in the draft and I don't do that I'm never going to do that so I will not own straw this season unless I trade for him in season with straw I could see the plan of straw working out he's a better defender than guys like Malik Smith in the past he's better at making contact than those guys as well and he walks at a double digit clip or at least that's what he's done so far However, there's just a few risks with him. Number one, whenever you see players that are right around 700 OPS, they can easily lose their job. That's just a proven uh, study research done by uh, Jeff Zimmerman, so that's a big risk factor. He does have good defense and contact skills to maybe prevent that, but additionally, if you're kind of relying on him in your draft, well, guess what? He is no secret. Other players can draft him as well, and there's no second mile straw, so that's another big risk with him. And plus, if he gets hurt, I mean, you're relying on 30 steals from him. You will never be able to replace that on the waiver wire, most likely. I mean, I guess you could find the next Cedric Mullins, but good luck. So not a guy I'm interested in, even though I could see it panning out. Stanton's a cut-and-dried player. He's a stud power bat. He he has injury risk, and he didn't get injured last year, so now he's a little bit more expensive than than last year, and I just I'm not interested. There's other power to buy later on. And with Yelich, probably one of the toughest players to figure out going into next year. You you were kind of uh you kind of you had warmed me up on him a little bit in our first pod. I know that I was a little bit cooled off on him with the injury risk, but he really has never missed significant time with the back. It's just kind of been flare ups and rest days here and there, scratch from the lineup occasionally. 
but if he can provide the 20 homers, uh, maybe maybe 10 steals with a solid batting average, I could see it working out. I just think that the range of outcomes are so wide. He could go back to being really good, uh, or he could kind of just be very pedestrian. And I just don't know what I'm getting. I've sprinkled him into a few drafts, not to be copping out here. I just don't really know what I'm getting. So I've only sprinkled him in here and there, but I don't have a strong conviction either way, Lou. I don't blame you, man. I mean, I don't have him in any redraft leagues, and I cashed out on him last year in a dynasty league. Uh, back issues don't get better. They don't just magically like decide to be um, fixed. You know, They linger and they linger and they linger. So uh, I think sure. it's something he's going to be dealing with for the rest of his career. Um, now, he could still be a productive player. I just don't think he's going to get back to being that ridiculous season um, MVP caliber player, 320, 100, 140, and 30. That's just not going to happen again um, with a nagging back issue. Yeah, it's he's been able to, uh, you know, he's been able to avoid disaster so far with the games played. I think he can kind of manage it, but there's certainly some risk there. And again, it's really hard to say what you're getting with him, so... Not a guy I'm loading up on, but like I said, I've taken a few shares here and there. He's really good for Yahoo leagues that are also daily lineup changes. Especially if it's OBP, because obviously he'll move up significantly in that format. Yeah, but if you can put him in whenever he's playing, and then you have a bunch of IL spots and whatever, the Yahoo format and setup is perfect for taking the risk on Christian Yelich. Haniger, Grisham, and Bellinger. Hanniger coming off by far the best season of his career, 100 runs, 100 RBIs, 39 home runs. Um, I honestly didn't realize how good his season was until I started looking into him, but the dude can clearly rake. The average dropped into the 250s, but if he can repeat the power numbers again, I mean, we're taking a guy, we're talking about a guy that's a really solid bat here, um, and he's going in a pretty solid area of the draft as well. I don't own him much because I'm usually taking starting pitchers in the range where I would take Hanniger, but I definitely support drafting him. Trent Grisham is a player I've been getting a lot of in drafts as a third outfielder. I kind of expect Grisham to be the 15-15 with at least a 250 average. If he hits a top a lineup in San Diego, he's got a chance to be a big-time run producer for you too. Going ADPs 130 or so. So if you're lacking some speed in the 7th or 8th round of your draft, nice choice. And certainly a way to make sure you get some steals. And then Cody Bellinger. Hard to believe Bellinger, as a former NL MVP caliber player, has become quite a risky pick, falling way down draft boards over the past two years. The power disappearing, the batting average disappearing, and it looks like I'm getting a FaceTime call. I'm going to have to decline that. (laughs) Sorry about that, Lucas. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) Bellinger is certainly risky. He's just 26 years old, but there's definitely a lot of potential uh, for him to bounce back from it. Give me your thoughts on Hanniger, Grisham, and Bellinger. Hanniger is a player that has had a lot of health issues in the past. Uh, I, I'm, I'm okay waving those by, though, because one is an uncomfortable one I don't want to talk about with, uh, you know, you can research that one, but anyways, I'm I'm okay waving by some injury concerns with him. It's just that this profile can be duplicated later with guys like Jorge Soler and uh, maybe an Adam Duvall potentially if he gets the playing time. So he's a he's a rock solid player, but this is not a unique profile. I'm not super interested. Grisham, on the other hand, is a bit more of a unique profile. I I kind of uh, can wax and wane on him because a 15-15 season where he goes is fine but it's also not a needle mover since his batting average could be low so 
I get it with Grisham, but I'm not thrilled. He's decent, but kind of a meh batting average. And if he doesn't hit 20 homers or 20 steals, you're not super thrilled. But he's a decent floor play because he has good plate skills, good OBP, et cetera. Decent, but I'm not super jazzed. With Bellinger, on the other hand, similar to Yelich, those guys are always paired this offseason since they are both superstars that have ha- come uh, come on to uh, down luck. He's had injury issues. He's also changed up his swing, which perhaps the uh, the injuries caused him to change his swing. I'm not exactly sure. He does need to put in a, a, an insane offseason of work to get to get his mind and his body right to play, and I could see him popping off again. But there's a lot of risk there, and I have one share just to kind of throw him in there to see what happens, but I don't have super strong evidence necessarily one way or the other. So he's a, he's a very speculative play, and this is kind of early to start doing that. Yeah, it's a little too early. I, I'm I'm with you there. Um, hopefully, I don't get another FaceTime call because that was incredibly distracting. Um, Kyle Schwarber, Lourdes Gurriel, Alex Verdugo, Robbie Grossman. Grossman, 2020 last year, could be again. Going to hurt your batting average probably, but 2020 is still a rarity. Can score runs, probably drive in 60 to 70 as well. Solid player and... It depends who you're drafting with. Some people will take him in the 150s, but in other places you might get him outside the top 175. For Dugo, a player who's going to boost your average, score a lot of runs for the Red Sox, and should be able to hit you 12 to 16 homer, steal 5 to 7 bags. Not a star, not a lot of upside, but a very solid, productive player. Lourdes Gurriel is kind of forgotten, Lucas, in the Toronto lineup because of all those big-time bats. But a very solid contributor, nevertheless. Going to help you an average a bit. Going to hit 20 or so homers, 65, 70 runs, 80-plus RBIs. All positives, really. Only stole one base in 2021, but has stolen six as a career high. So maybe you can get another five or six from him, but don't count on it. And then Kyle Schwarber, kind of like Castellanos. Obviously, he doesn't have the same batting average, but this is a guy who's still unsigned. Where he signs is going to be very impactful for him, but this is a 30 homer, 80 run, 80 RBI type of player. Just depends where he goes, where he hits, and there were rumors about Coors Field and the Rockies. I'm not really expecting it, but if that happens, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy hit like 55 home runs and had like 140 <laughs> RBIs. Um, he, he's a really, really, really good power hitter, as you know. He really is. I, uh, I actually... He was a college classmate of mine whenever we were both at Indiana, so he was a he was a stud there. Again, he was a stud in the second half last year. I remember he had a stretch where he hit 19 home runs and like I think it was 22 or 23 games, and then unfortunately the injuries hit. He's a little different than some of the other kind of run of the mill power bats. I think Schwarber has the chance to hit 40 bombs, um, so I, I do like him more than the others. So I would take him around the 130, 140 area if I desperately needed the power. What do you think Throws- you can get from a batting average standpoint? Like best case scenario. Oh, man. Well, if he goes to Coors, I think you could see 270, 280. But I just think that's unrealistic since they're kind of a cheap team. And they literally shed Nolan Arenado from the payroll willingly, which makes zero sense. But, Didn't they uh, pay the Cardinals to take him? Yeah. They did. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Good job, Rockies. (laughs) But I would say uh, 250, 260, which I I think that he's not going to help. He's not going to hurt. I think he'll just be kind of there. So that's fine with me. Yeah, I just don't want to see like 230s. But I mean, I would potentially take it. It's just like if it's 230s, 
it's almost like a Miguel Sano if Sano has a decent, like an above average season. Yeah. I, that That's where I worry. Too. That's where I worry yeah. is all. Over the past two full seasons, he had a 250 and a 266. Uh, I don't count 2020 really just because it was wacky, but, you know, I get it. But I also think that a 250 baseline is a reasonable expectation. Yeah, he's he's a really good fit for you if you've gone with, like, that athletic, good average, good base of stolen, uh, of steals type of, uh, type of draft that you want to kind of just throw in some power, make sure you grab that power, um, still elite power. I think he's a really good fit. It really just depends on your, on, on your build. It does. I mean, 17 and a half percent barrel rate for Schwarber. There's nothing fake in this profile with Grossman. This is a uh, funny enough. This is a guy that you and I were kind of beating the drum for last year. Him and Wade Miley were kind of two of our cheaper value plays that we were tossing out there. And of course, the 2020 season came to fruit, came to fruition. And uh, again, he's a little undervalued again this year. I've heard some comps of uh, Jazz Chisholm. Why would you take Jazz Chisholm uh, when you can wait 100 picks and take Grossman? And I'm sure that you probably like that kind of argument there. So I love him. Yeah, you know I don't love Jazz at the ADP. I do yeah. love Jazz as a player, though. <laughs> Definitely think Grossman's. A really, really good pick going in a great spot for you, especially, again, if you um, are not worried about the potential average in the 230s because that power speed is money in fantasy baseball. Anything else on the this tier or the players we've talked about here, someone that really stands out for you that you just have a lot of shares of, whatever it might be? Yeah, I'll, I'll be brief on the last two guys. And additionally, one more thing I wanted to throw in with Grossman, even though the potential for a 230, 240 batting average will hurt you in Roto, it won't hurt his real life value because he's a leadoff man who walks a good amount. So that's always a good thing to see there. Yeah, there's also a lot of people, Lucas, who don't play Roto, yeah. who play head to head. And suddenly, I mean, average still matters. It's a category. But it doesn't hurt you the same way because even the guys who hit 230 could have a week where they hit 400. Absolutely. No, that's fair. I I just think that the OBP cements his placement in a good spot in the lineup, which is critical. Yeah, I kind of just wanted to throw that out there to people listening oh, who yeah. are playing head-to-head. You don't have to worry about those dudes who might hit 240 or 250 as much. Uh, because some weeks they're going to maybe hit 180, and other weeks, again, they could hit 350 or 400. It's the counting stats and the homers and the power that you're really looking for in head-to-head from these players. Absolutely. Verdugo and Gurriel Jr., to wrap those guys up, they're good floor plays, and Verdugo is the definition of a floor play. He's a cash game play in DFS. Good plate skills, good contact, good lineup, couple of steals, solid homers. I've heard people actually uh, say say that he could kind of do something like Wander Franco because neither one of them are going to be amazing in power and probably won't provide a lot of steals. I thought that was a great comp. And then Gurriel Jr., I really didn't love him a whole lot last year and the year before because he doesn't really walk much and doesn't really steal much bases. But, hell, this guy hits in a premium lineup. Always has been solid batting average, which that does provide uh, pr- provide some value. And... I think that uh, I think the time is right to buy around pick 150 or so for Gurriel Jr. Yeah, I like Lourdes for sure. Uh, liked him last year, like him this year. And again, goes forgotten because there's so many star hitters on that Jays team. Good stuff here on part one. A lot more to go in part two, though, buddy. Absolutely. 
Well, this has been the Lucas Baseball Podcast, brought to you by DrRoto.com, Outfield Rankings Part 1. Stay tuned. We'll have Outfield Rankings Part 2 coming out shortly after Outfield Rankings Part 1. Check out the Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide at DrRoto.com. I'm Lou Landers with co-host Lucas Beery, and thanks for tuning in once again to Lucas Baseball. We'll catch you next time.